Amen. How are we doing, church? Doing good? Happy 1122 day at 1122 at 1122. All right, so we are really into it. This is a big, big day. In fact, this whole week's been a really big week in our city. Uh, I think it kind of started uh, a week ago, Friday night. We had our advanced commitment night at Everbank Field on the 50-yard line. There was more than 1,000 of us there. And if you were there, you'll remember I said that God's blessing and grace was going to spill out over us and onto the Jaguars, and in five days we won two games. Praise God. Come on, give me a break. And we believe it's blessing is upon us so much that we're going to beat the mud out of San Diego for Thanksgiving. So I actually got the opportunity to talk to Gus Bradley yesterday at the McKenzie Wilson Run, and a bunch of us were there, and that was awesome, right? We ran around, or y'all ran. If you ever see me running, call the police, all right? Something's going horribly wrong. But I prayed, and y'all ran, and it was great. We had that, 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 was, that was really good. And then, you know, all of us college football fans, we got to just see the SEC just dominate with uh, Florida and Georgia taking middle school teams into overtime yesterday. So <laughs> nothing like that. It just stress you out to preach today. And so that's terrible, isn't it? Terrible? Good gracious. So anyway, uh, but I think the biggest thing going on is 11:22 day right here. This is the day that we have been preparing for Commitment Sunday for before all things. So grab your notebook, go to page 37, or if you've got a regular Bible, you can go to Luke chapter 4. That's where we're going to start. Get your commitment card out. We're going to be there in just a minute. And this is the day. And, now, and let me just say this. If you're a guest with us or if you're brand new, just take a breath, sit back, relax, okay? But if you are not, if you've been here a while and this is your church, sit up, hold your breath, because here's what we have been getting ready for for the last five weeks. And I know I'm the pastor and I'm supposed to be like the spiritual leader, but I would just say this. Um, in conversations with you on how you've been wrestling with what it looks like in your life to declare that Jesus is before all things, I feel like you guys have been leading me. I've had conversations with, um, with senior adults and parents that have little kids and singles and everything in between about what it looks like, about how you've been wrestling, truly going before the Lord and saying, all right, Jesus, what does it look like to, to put you before all things in my life? And I know that he is taking us on this two-year discipleship journey together. And today, today, we get to demonstrate it in just one part of our life, the financial part of our life. And so the, what, what I wanted to do during this to, to kick off our, our commitment Sunday here for Before All Things is I actually want to take us back to the very first sermon ever preached here at 1122, straight out of Ladies Accessories. This is what the, it's used to sell here in Walmart. And, um, and, and here's why. Uh, as I've been reflecting on what God has done in and through 1122, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 come to mind. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. And over the last three years, that God has done... <laughs> exceedingly more than any of us ever hoped or imagined. And um, a lot of folks have heavy influences in their lives, in their ministry, and, and especially some of my ministry friends, they will talk about things like the Institutes written by Calvin or Religious Affection by John Edwards. And, and two pieces of literature that have impacted me significantly in my ministry, uh, they actually both come out of the Peanuts cartoons, all right? And so uh, it's just the level that I'm, that I'm at. And one of them is uh, Lucy comes up to Charlie Brown, and Charlie Brown is shooting a bow and arrow, so that kind of captured my attention. And he's hitting the bullseye every single time, and Lucy's like, wow, you're so good at this. And then Charlie Brown goes, it's really not that hard. He goes over to the blank side of the barn and shoots an arrow into the blank barn and then takes a bucket of paint and then draws the bullseye right around it and says, see. Now, much to my chagrin, that has, that, that's kind of most of the way churches work. 
They don't really know what they're doing. They just keep doing it because they did it last week, and they got to do it again next week. And when we launched the church, I thought, that is not what I want to do. I want to set a goal on the wall and be about that, and that goal, I don't think I can make it up. I think it needs to be all about what, what Jesus has for us as a church, which leads to that second inspirational passage from the Peanuts. Um, Lucy comes up to Charlie Brown and says, Charlie, uh, life is like a cruise ship. And some people on the cruise ship of life, they take their deck chairs and they put it on the back of the boat to appreciate where they've been. And some people on the cruise ship of life, they take their deck chairs and they put it on the front of the cruise ship to see where we're going. What kind of person are you, Charlie Brown? And Charlie says, I, I, I'm just trying to get my deck chair open, all right? And honest to goodness, that's a little how I felt as we launched the church of 1122. I feel a little under qualified. I feel totally over my head. And so here's what we're going to do. What if we as a church just do what Jesus said he was all about? I don't think we can go wrong. And what you find in Luke chapter 4 is you find the mission, vision, and values of Jesus Christ. If you work for an organization, you probably have a mission statement, and I'm sure it's awesome. And in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14, what we find is the mission statement of Jesus. And from day one, that is what we have been all about. And from this day forward, that is what we're going to be all about. And so the first thing we ever did as a church, when the countdown clock hit zero three years ago, the first words ever spoken from this stage were this, let us pray. So as we move into the sermon, would you please bow your heads and pray with me. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, you, you sure have done exceedingly more than we could ever hope or imagine in the church through the power of Jesus and for your glory. And God, we just, we thank you for that. We praise you for that. And God, we ask for your continued movement in this movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So what we're gonna find here in Luke chapter four is the mission of Jesus, which is our mission. Luke four fourteen it says this, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit, you see, Jesus was spirit-filled. This is a spirit-filled church. He returns in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. In other words, if Jesus was walking around today, it would be his custom to attend church. And I know we kind of live in a, in a time, and I know we have a lot of people that attend here, but, you know, there's a lot of people like, well, I don't really need to attend church because I can just meet Jesus at the beach. All right, listen, the beach is awesome, and church is awesome. They're both awesome, but the beach is the beach, and the church is church, okay? And what, what Jesus was accustomed to is gathering together with other believers to study the Word of God and to worship God. And that's what we as a church are. It's not a building. It is a movement. That's why 1122 is a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus. And I hope you do experience Jesus out on the beach, but that is not enough. That's like a baseball player with no team. It just doesn't make sense. We are to gather together as believers to make much of him, to glorify him in worship and word. And it says, and he, and he stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it is written. So the way it would work, if you were going to teach in the synagogue, you got to sit in the seat, special seat called the Moses seat, and then they would open up this closet that had all the scrolls of the Torah in it and the prophets, and they pull one out, and they hand it to the teacher, and he would stand up and find where he wanted to read. He'd read, and then when it was his time to teach, he would, he would sit down and teach. And so Jesus, when he's handed, he's handed the book of Isaiah, and he goes to Isaiah chapter 61, and he reads this text, and this text that he's going to read is a messianic prophecy. 
So everybody there would know this. It's kind of like when, when the band plays your favorite song, and in the first few notes, you're like, oh, this is my jam. You know what I mean? So there's some people in the synagogue, and when he starts reading Isaiah 61, they're like, yo, this is my jam. They're into this, okay? This is, the, this, is this messianic prophecy that they would know. And it says this, verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the recovering of sight to the blind, and set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And what you've got to understand is everybody sitting there was like, Do what? Yeah, Jesus is saying, you know, the, you know the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one that you've been looking for, that, that Isaiah talked about, and there's about 400 other prophecies that talk about this coming Lamb of God that was going to shed his blood for the forgiveness of all mankind. Well, today, today, he's on the scene, and Jesus is saying, that's me. And so what Jesus is saying is, on his, in his ministry, this is what he is going to be about. And so go back to verse 18. This is like the, the mission statement of Jesus. He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. You see, Jesus was a Spirit-filled preacher. We want this church to be Spirit-filled. You remember when Jesus was baptized, that John the Baptist baptizes him, and the heavens crack open, and God Almighty, God the Father, speaks out loud and says, Behold my Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. The great triune God is there. God the Father, God the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit, all there. And Jesus says, I, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he goes on to say, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. Underline that word anointed. That word anointed in the Old Testament is Meshua, or we would know it as Messiah. And in the New Testament, it's Christos. So Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. It's like table for two, Mr. and Mrs. Christ. No, 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 that's not it. It's a title, okay? That's what it is. That he is the Christ, the anointed one. And what that anointed one means is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promised substitutionary atoning lamb that was going to come and take away the sin. So if you'll remember um, when Moses gets the children of Israel out of Egypt and an angel of death passes over that land and anybody that had shed the blood of a lamb and put it on the doorpost of their home, he would pass over. Jesus said, that was pointing to me. That I am the lamb, my blood is shed, you put the blood of me on the doorpost of your heart, and the angel of death passes over you. Or, in the temple, on the day of atonement, once a year, they shed the blood of a lamb, and they sprinkle that blood on the Ark of the Covenant, the broken laws, to cover over our sin for one year. But on the day Jesus was baptized, John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God, who comes to take away the sin of all mankind. Not another Lamb of God that's going to cover sin for one year. That's what it means to be anointed. Jesus says, I am the substitutionary atonement for your sin. That's why I came. And he says, and I came to proclaim good news. When the New Testament says good news, it means the gospel. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. This church, Jesus was all about the gospel. He was obviously gospel-centered. That was always the point. That's the point of this church, that we are here to preach, to herald the good news. You see, it's actually news. It's not just the sharing of a philosophy or ideas. It is, the, it is the heralding of actual events that Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death on the cross and three days later was resurrected from the grave. 
The Bible says it this way, that God made him who's without sin to be sin for us, that we would be made his righteousness. This church will always, always, always be about the gospel. And just so nobody would get confused, we put a 40-foot cross right out there in the parking lot. What's this place about? It's about that. And then when you get in here, the biggest thing on stage is not my big head. It is the cross. It is what we are all about. In fact, sometimes people said to me, you know what, Joby, you preached the same sermon over and over and over. Ding, 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 we have a winner. Congratulations. Showcase showdown, the whole thing is yours, okay? Because that's it. All we're going to do, we're not going to talk about, you know, all of our felt needs and whatever. We're going to talk about one thing because there's only one answer regardless of what the problem is, and it's the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, because Jesus came to preach the good news. And he says he came to proclaim the good news to the poor. As God begins to sanctify our hearts to make us look more and more like him, then what breaks his heart ought to break our heart. So one of the ways we've demonstrated that here at 1122 is since the day we've opened, you, we, together as a church, have sponsored 4,600 Compassion Kids. Isn't that crazy? 4,600 Compassion Kids. All right. Nothing like sputtering applause for saving poor people. All right. So listen. Let me just tell you, though, before we started, before we started, I had some financial advisor type in growing church world warn me that's mega church suicide. That's what they said. Because if you do the math on that, that's about $2 million a year that doesn't come to church budget. It just goes out. And they said, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I was like, we have to do that, okay? My job, I'm not into the renovating Walmart's business. You understand what I'm saying? I'm into doing what Jesus said business. That's what we are going to do as a church. And I think a big reason that God has blessed us like crazy is much like the parable of the talents is that we have shown ourselves trustworthy to be good stewards of God's money to do what God wants with God's money. Amen? And so we are going to proclaim the good news to the poor. And then he says, and he has sent me. That Jesus was sent. That's one of the reasons if you're going to be a part of 1122, you got three years to go on a mission trip. All right? And the Bible says go. It doesn't say you have to stay. Praise God. When I go, I can't wait to get home. But it says go. And the reason that we send you is because Jesus was sent. The ultimate short-term mission experience was Jesus stepping out of heaven where the angels and the elders would gather around the throne and sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And he left the comforts of the glory of heaven and he came down on a short-term mission trip for you and for me. And because he is sent, that you and I are sent. We've sent over a thousand missionaries to the ends of the earth to proclaim the gospel since we opened the doors. And then, here's what we're proclaiming. It says to proclaim liberty to the captives. That a part of being the church is to proclaim liberty to the captives. You know what the number one thing that people are captivated in? It's their sin. You see, rebellion against God, it always feels like freedom at first. And it can only lead to bondage and death. And 3,000 times in the last three years through the church of 1122, God has liberated people that have been in bondage to their sin. That means 3,000 people have surrendered their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And the reason is because we just preach the gospel. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. And so we're just going to continue to do that. Not only that, there's been a lot of people that have been um, freed. They've been freed from the bondage of the American dream. And I know what you're saying. Be like, how are you going to talk about my stuff again? It's every week. I know. I know. Next week is going to be a real, like, gentle sermon about Jesus, and it's going to be awesome and Christmas and that stuff. But, but here's the thing. There's been a whole lot of people that have been set free from the cul-de-sac of stupidity. The cul-de-sac of stupidity is not this stuff is stupid. It's putting your hope in that stuff is stupid. 
And there's been a whole lot of people that have taken the exit ramp to freedom to actually enjoy God's blessings upon us instead of being ruled by them. There's been a lot of people that have been set free from guilt and shame because the truth of Romans 8.1 has begun to penetrate hearts that therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that people have been set free here over and over and over. So he says, he sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind. There's a whole lot of people over the last three years, and, and, and they were blind and now they can see. Not just spiritually, but even in the way that we live our lives. You see, because the reality is, when we begin to see as God sees, then we will begin to do as God says. Like even in this five-week generosity series, there's a whole lot of people that say, you know what, I figured out that, that, that it's time for me to start doing money God's way instead of my way because my way is not working. I got a whole bunch of stuff that's just not satisfying me, and it's time for me to hop off of that merry-go-round of normality and chase after the one that, that poured his entire life out for me. There's many people that have been reconciled in broken relationships because you began to see forgiveness through the eyes of Jesus instead of thinking, well, I could never forgive. You begin to realize, uh-oh, if I ain't giving it, I ain't got it. And that's not good grammar, but it's right theology that you cannot simultaneously look down your nose at somebody and hold a grudge while you're looking up at Jesus on the cross and hear him say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. There have been marriages around here that are, that are being run differently now because instead of what I can get out of it in the center, Jesus is in the center. And we've got some husbands that have begun to love their wives like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And, and the reason is because as we begin to see as God sees, we can begin to do as God says. And not only that, he says to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Those who are oppressed. Can I tell you one of the most oppressive things on the human heart? It's the religion of man. Any kind of religiosity that says, God is good, you are bad, try harder, see you next week. And in fact, 1122, that's how a lot of us grew up, did we not? I mean, I, I mean this, I don't mean, well, I don't care if I offend you or not, but really, 1122, aren't we really like the, the island of misfit toys of the Church of Jacksonville? Are we not? Most of us have some story where we went into a place, and you know, I'm, everybody's got, I'm sure they had great intentions and all that, but we went to a place to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Instead, we got it heaped upon us, a whole list of rules, and we tried, we really tried to keep up with the rules. But it's like, holding a, it's like holding a beach ball under the ocean. Now, you can do it for a little while, but eventually a wave comes, it's too big, or your arms get too tired, and boom, it comes out like with an explosion, and you think, there I go, I must not be a very good Christian. You see, the reality is there is no such thing as a good Christian. There's alive and dead, and we were dead in our trespasses, and in Christ, he made us alive. And Jesus walks around in here with a pocket knife. He just takes the air out of the beach ball. Just, and there you go. So you kind of look like an idiot. We're trying to hold it all down like this, and there's no air in it anymore, you see? And that's what it means to, to, to walk in freedoms because he set the captives free over and over and over and so the, the oppression of religion is gone. It's gone. And it's time for us to walk in the freedom of Jesus Christ. And then probably my favorite part of the whole Messianic prophecy is this. He says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You know what that means for you and me? That means that God really loves you. He doesn't love some future version of you once you get your act together. He loves you right now because I don't know about you, but but I kind of grew up thinking, I know God loves me because he has to, but I think he's pretty frustrated with me right now. I think every time I would go to church, I would feel like God's looking at me with this face of just, really? 
Are you still doing that again? Don't you remember at Saturated when you promised you wouldn't do that anymore and then you did it again last night? Really? That's how I felt. But the reality is that because Jesus is the propitiation for our sin, propitiation means a payment that satisfies that God can no longer be dissatisfied in you. Do you know what that means? That God's really stoked about you. In Christ, God is really, really stoked about you. If God has a refrigerator in the kingdom of heaven, he's got your picture on it. Not because you're awesome, but because he is, and he paid the price for you and adopted you into his family for his own glory. He loves you like a good dad loves his kids, that he delights in you. Don't you? I hope if you're a good parent, you delight in your kids, right? And you delight over them in a way that nobody else shares, right? So like uh, Reagan right now, you know, my six-year-old, she's awesome, and she's in gymnastics, at least that's what they call it. They really just put on a bathing suit and frolic around the gym for an hour and charge me a hundred bucks, but whatever, okay? And just recently, you know what I'm talking about. And so recently, uh, Gretchen came home from gymnastics and like, hey, Reagan has been invited to jump up into the next class because she's that talented. And I'm like, yeah, baby, show me what you do. And she just bends around and it hurts me, right? But what do you do? You're like, oh, man, Olympics, here we come. Woo! Or like... Or, or like my son, I love telling stories about my son. I've had some people be like, how, oh, do you tell stories about your son every week? Yeah, if I got them. And, and, you know, and maybe you're tired of hearing them. I don't care. I'm not tired of telling them, right? You know why? Because that's my boy in whom I delight. Like this last Tuesday, since you ask. <laughs> We're wrapping up Little League Baseball. We're undefeated, obviously. And... Uh, we're riding to the game. JP's kind of freaking out a little bit. He seems a little tense, a little nervous, which is not normal. You know, usually he's pretty stoked about going to the game. I'm like, what's up, buddy? And he's like, well, look, Daddy, the team we're playing is really good. They're undefeated also. And, and the kid that's going to be pitching, I, he throws so hard, and he's tall, and he throws sidearm, and Dad, I'm just kind of scared. And so for the last few weeks, we've been memorizing Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be afraid, for the Lord my God is with me. And I'm like, all right, buddy, pray and quote your verse, and you'll be all right. And it's just a little league baseball. Don't worry about it. You know, here we go. And so he gets up to bat, the first bat, and, and it's a different pitcher. And so he hits that one, no problem. And then the big boy gets up there to pitch. And I'm telling you, he's big. It's a 10U league. I'm pretty sure he's 14. He drove there, and he shaves. <laughs> Probably on steroids. Whatever, whatever. At every pitch, I see JP back out of the box and then come back in. It's a full count. Throws one over the plate, and I'm talking about he ropes one. I thought I almost was going to show you the video, but I thought that might take it too far. If you would like to see it afterwards, I have it on my phone. I'd be happy to share it with you also. And he ropes one. It bounces off the fence in right center field. He gets a double because the shortstop tackled him. But whatever, he should have gotten the triple. So after the game, I'm like, JP, how'd you overcome your fear? He goes, Daddy, I quoted our verse in between every single pitch. Can I tell you how much I delight in that? <laughs> and do you know why I want to show you the video? I... I know you don't care. It's just a kid hitting a ball that you've heard all about. I know, I know. But I delight in that. That's how the Lord feels about you. It's the year of the Lord's favor. If you just showed up here again, maybe this is the, maybe it's the first time in a long time that you've actually gathered together with a body of believers a few weeks in a row. God Almighty is like, come here, come here, Michael, Gabriel, look at this, look at my boy. Look at, look at her. For the very first time in worship, she began to raise a hand. Now, not all the way up like you ought to. It's kind of a pledge of allegiance, but it's a start. Look at my kid. You see, Jesus came so that on the cross, we would know that it's finished. What? The performance trap is over. His perfect performance demonstrated for us that God loves you for your, 
for his glory and for your own good. And so Jesus says this. This is what I'm going to be about. The Spirit of the the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. I'm going to proclaim the gospel to the poor. He sent me and proclaimed liberty to the captives, sight to the blind, liberties for the oppressed, and proclaim that God is really into you, the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant. He sat down, and the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they went, do what? He says, yeah, the Messiah, the anointed one that you have been looking for, the Lamb of God that's going to take away the sin of the whole world, the Son of God, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one that you've been looking for and waiting on, he's here right now. And so I thought that's what we should be about as a church because this is what Jesus was about. Now, at first, everybody thought it was awesome until he then he, ter- he shares two examples, one from 1 Kings, one from 2 Kings, and it ain't all about you. That's basically what he says. It ain't all about you, that I have come to seek and save the lost, not just take care of good church people. And then they got mad and they tried to kill him, all right? And I have, I have preached some bummer sermons before, but at least so far, nobody has tried to kill me yet. They take him to the edge of town, they try to throw him off a cliff, and the Bible says that as they're fighting amongst themselves, then Jesus just leaves the situation. It's kind of like Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny. You know how they get one of those big fights and then Bugs Bunny just leaves and there's still just a fight going on. That's what happens in the Bible. You can read it for yourself. Now, here's why I share all of this with you. The mission and vision of Jesus. Because the mission and vision of Jesus should be our mission and vision. And that's it. That is the bullseye that we are trying to hit. And I can say this. We don't have a perfect church for sure. And all the problems that we need to fix here are primarily my problem and my responsibility and my fault. I get all that. But I can honestly say over the past three years, this is what we have been about. We really have, as a church, been about what Jesus says we are supposed to be about as a church. And as a body of Christ, as believers in Jesus' name gathered together, we are supposed to be about what Jesus is about. Jesus even talks about it in John chapter 14. Hop over there real quick. John chapter 14. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. And for the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's a very famous chapter. You ought to read it and get familiar with it. And basically what Jesus is saying to these guys are, it's better for you if I go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And here's the way he says it. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. That doesn't mean you just tack on Jesus' name at the end of your prayer. That means in character and nature with Jesus, believers that gather in Jesus' name are supposed to do the things that Jesus does. And he says, and even greater things. Now, I don't, I don't know that that means like in magnitude or intensity, but here's what I think it means. You see, when Jesus was here in his earthly ministry, he was limited by time and space. He limited himself. He could only be in one place at one time. But when he ascended to the right hand of God the Father and he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in every single believer, then Jesus can do his work throughout all of the earth all the time because he's not limited by time and space. In fact, J.D. Greer, a friend of mine in North Carolina, writes a book called Jesus Continued, that, Jesus, that the Spirit in you is greater than Jesus beside you. And a lot of times that's hard for us to get our minds around, right? Be like, no, 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 I think if I just had Jesus with me, it would be better. Like if I was at my tailgate and I ran out of checks mix, Jesus could just make more checks mix, right? 
or make two boxes of it, go to feed everybody. Or at, at the tailgate, he could turn water to wine. What a great tailgate that would be. Or if Jesus was beside me and my dog died, he could just resurrect my dog. Or if my cat died, then he could dig a hole for me to put it in. Right? <clears throat> Good. You too? Awesome. So, <clears throat> but what Jesus is saying is, I will no longer be limited by that being in one place at one time when I go away and I send the Holy Spirit. That for whoever believes, the Holy Spirit lives in them. And you, us, as a church, we will do greater things than he has done. Do you realize that the Before All Things initiative is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Jesus in John chapter 14? You see, as we continue to be a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ, then, then not only is it happening here, but it's happening in churches, gospel-centered churches all over the world. Jesus isn't limited to one. And as we put down roots here and more and more and more people's lives look like what happened here at Walmart, you know, it went from a pretty terrible um, building to now something really, really valuable after the Holy Spirit infused himself here. The same thing's going to happen in thousands more people right here. So it's time to make this a home. And also, we don't want to be limited by geography. And so we're, we're planning gospel communities starting in Bay Meadows on January 10th. And right now, right now, in Bay Meadows, there's some family, and they're flipping through channels, just kept waiting for the football games to come on because they're bored to death. And little do they know, by January of next year, they're going to surrender their lives to the Lordship of Christ, and their eternal trajectory is going to change. And they don't even know it. And a part of the way that's going to happen is because you and I are the fulfillment of what Jesus is talking about here. Not to mention the dozens of families that are going to get jobs through our jobs initiative. And that generationally, people will be rescued from cycles of poverty. And there'll be a hundred churches planted around the world. Why? Because we are what Jesus is talking about here in John chapter 14. That we as a church, that we're going to do, we're going to keep doing what he was doing and even do greater things. When we gather together and be like, all right, Jesus, this is what it looks like for you to be before all things in my life. Now, let me tell you. When we hear as a church that we're supposed to keep doing what Jesus was doing and do even greater things, some of us are like, really? But the disciples never thought that. When the disciples heard this, they thought, well, of course, because that's why we're following you. Because in the first century, here's what you have to understand. In the first century, the reason a disciple would follow a master or a teacher or a rabbi is not just so they could know what that rabbi knew, but so that they could do and be who that rabbi was. You see, that's far different than American Christianity, isn't it? You ask an American, hey, was, uh, are you a Christian? Well, of course I am because I attend this church and this is what I believe. But if you ask a first century person, are you a disciple of Jesus? They would say, yeah, because I am all in to be a follower of his. Not only will I know what he knows, but I'll be able to do what he does because I want to be who he is. And when they would get to a certain point in their life, then the, the, the rabbi would say, okay, now it's time for you to go and make your own disciples. See, the best place I see this illustrated is in Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. And even if you're new to Bible study, uh, you've probably heard of this one before. It says this, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountainside by, mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land beaten by the waves, for the wind was against it. So these professional fishermen are rowing their boat across the lake, and they can't get anywhere because the wind's in their face. It's like the row machine. They're not going anywhere. Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, so this is the middle of the night, 
Jesus came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. You might want to underline that, terrified. And they said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. They cried out in fear. Listen, I've talked to some of you through this before all things generosity initiative, and you know that, that because of what God is calling you to do, some of the feelings that are being welled up in you are terror. Some of you think you've seen a ghost, at least your face looks like it, and, and you got a little fear going on. And so here's how Jesus responds, verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. I've told you this a million times. The opposite of faith isn't doubt. The opposite of faith is fear because faith produces action and fear paralyzes. And that's why the Bible says 365 times, do not be afraid or some version of do not be afraid. Why? Because the opposite of faith is fear. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so when you've got some men huddled up in this boat and they're afraid, Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. But he doesn't give them a pep talk. He doesn't say, don't be afraid because you're awesome and you got this. And I believe, none of that stuff. He goes, he goes don't be afraid because I'm right here. I am with you. It's the same thing that God promises Joshua when he says, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be afraid for the Lord my God is with me. That the presence of God is always the answer to fear. And the good news is in the Great Commission, Jesus says, and I promise to be with you always to the very ends of the age. That's why we don't have to be afraid. And now look, verse 28, Peter says to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, why would Peter ask to walk on the water with Jesus? Here's why. Because he was a follower of Jesus. He was a Talmudine of Jesus. And so what he signed on for was this. You said that I could do what you do, and I would do even greater works than you. So Jesus kind of looked like a ghost from here. You sound like Jesus, but you look like a ghost, okay, because it's the middle of the night, and you're standing on the water, and I've never seen that before. So, if that's really you, teacher, rabbi, Lord, then call me out there with you. Why? Because you are before all things. I know common sense says stay in here in the boat with the other fishermen, but I'm going to step out if that's really you. And then here's what Jesus says. He said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, stop reading right there. This is where most pastors hurry up and they get to the next verse. Okay, it's going to sink in a minute. It doesn't go awesome. But up to this point, pretty stinking awesome. I mean, how many steps on water do you have, huh? I'm, I'm treading right around zero right now. And here's what I think. How many, th how many steps do you think he took? All right, it says he walked on water and came to Jesus. So it's either three or seven or 40. Those are the only numbers in the Bible, I think, okay? And so he's got some steps. We'll go with three. If you took three steps on the water, what kind of steps would they be? Personally, I'm going the Ric Flair like, woo, you know, like that. That's what I'm doing. Or maybe he did the one to who, three. I'm not sure, but I know this. He got, let's say he got three steps. And I think for the rest of his days, when the disciples gave him a hard time about, you know, chopping off that dude's ear or denying that he knew Jesus before the rooster crowed, he probably looked at him and said, well, how many steps on the water do you have? Because I'm just telling you, one to who, three. I got three. Now, why did Peter do this? The reason Peter did this is because he was a follower, a Talmudian of Jesus. He believed that he could do whatever it was that Jesus called him to do. That's what he believed. And he believed it because in John 14, 12, that's what Jesus promised. Hey, I'm going to do some stuff, and you're going to do the same stuff, and even greater stuff than I did. 
So Peter says, all right, Jesus, if that's really you and your promises are true, if you are who you say you are and you all keep, always keep your promise, then ask me to come out here on the water. And sure enough, he walks on the water and he walks towards Jesus. But, there's always a but. Verse 30, but when Peter saw the wind, he was, what's that word? Afraid. He takes his eyes off Jesus. He looks at his circumstances and he is afraid. You see, the opposite of faith is fear. It paralyzes. By faith, he's walking on water, and by fear, he begins to sink. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And this is a demonstration of the gospel of grace. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. You see, a lot of times we think when we take our eyes off Jesus and begin to sink and cry out to him, he, we, he doesn't reach out his hand to hold us, but he kind of gives us the back of his hand to smack us. That's how a lot of us were, were brought up. But that's not the way it works. That immediately he reaches out his hand, he takes hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Now, here's what's important. Why do you doubt, Peter? The question really is, Peter, what is Peter doubting? Look at the text. Is Peter doubting Jesus? No. Is Jesus sinking? Jesus is doing just fine on his own. Peter is fully confident that Jesus is standing there on the water. You know what Peter is doubting? Peter is doubting if he can do what Jesus called him to do. You see, Peter's actually doubting himself. Now, you've got to hear this right, okay? But maybe I'll say it this way. I know you believe in God. But what if you get started to get your mind around this idea that God believes in you? Not because you're awesome, not because you can walk on water on your own, but because in him all things are possible. Because you can do whatever it is that he has called you to do. So keep your eyes focused on him and do not be afraid and do not doubt that, that through you that God can do whatever it is that he called you to do. You see, because for a lot of us, in this Before All Things Generosity Initiative, God has called us right to the edge of the boat. And for some of you, God's even called you to start to step out and take steps of faith. And it's usually right about now that you begin to hear the chirping and the whispers. Or you take your eyes off the author and perfecter of your faith and start to look around at your circumstances and think, oh no, I can't do this. Well, on your own, of course you can't. But in Christ, we can do whatever it is that he has called us to do. Whatever it is that he has called us to do. We can do what he called us to do and even greater things than he has done. And as a church, that's what we're supposed to be. See, about 20 years ago, makes me feel old, but about 20 years ago, I was a youth pastor in a little town right outside of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Have you ever been to Myrtle Beach? Raise your hand if you have. Okay, good. Wash your hands, all right? It's weird. So uh, I love it. It's kind of where I grew up, around that area. It's the Redneck Riviera, all right? And so uh, when I was at this little church outside of Myrtle Beach, we'd do this Bible study on Sunday nights, and once a month, it'd be high attendance Sunday, because once a month, I would take all the kids from this little town, we'd get in the church van, and we would go down to Myrtle Beach, to this place called the Pavilion. It's kind of like a state fair that never goes away, you needed a tetanus shot to get in. I mean, it was really not that great, but it's all we had, and we loved it. And so, <clears throat> we, we, we went through like the little haunted mansion thing or whatever, and I'm walking out with about 10 or 12 of my, my middle school and high school students. And again, this is 20 years ago, this is right when bungee jumping started to take off, all right? You remember that whole terrible idea, all right, and so my kids started to get all super stoked about it, they're like, oh man, that's awesome, let's do it, let's do it, and I'm thinking, there ain't no way I'm getting up there, all right, God does not want me to jump off a perfectly good tower and pay people for it, there's no way, all that was internal, because you never want to look like a wimp in front of your high school students if you're a youth pastor, because you got to be cool, and I was like, I would totally do that, 
I'd, I'd do 200 feet. I ain't scared. I'd jump into a canyon, off a bridge, whatever. So we go to check it out, and I'm the only one old enough to go, all right? So I thought, sweet. So I told the kids, oh, I know you guys don't want to wait around on me. Let's get in the van. Let me take you all back home. They were like, no, 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 Pastor. We heard the passion at which you said you wanted to do this, and we don't want you to miss out. All right. And so I step up to the little desk there. How much is it? I think it was 90 or $100. I thought, no way. Which, by the way, is the first and only time I ever prayed and thanked God for not having enough money to do something. All right? Thank you, Jesus. The kids get together real quick in this kind of prayer huddle. They come right back to me and they say, here you go, here's 90 bucks. I'm like, I don't have, 90 dollars is a lot of money, I'll never be able to pay you back. And they're like, we don't care, it's our mama's money, okay, we don't care. <laughs> so I take it, go over, hand it to the lady, I sign this piece of paper that pretty much says, if you die, who cares? You know, you've signed those before. They made me get on a scale, and then it's like, oh, Ted, can we get the blue harness? We need the blue harness. I'm like, whoa, 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 what kind of husky harness you getting for me? All right, why does not the normal one work? And then they put that dude on. Have you ever put on one of those things? Boy, that's quite the creation, the atomic wedgie there, isn't it? And then, and then you got to march in front of the whole crowd trying to be awesome. Hey, what's up? And that's how I walk. All right, it's terrible. So I get to the dude in the elevator to go up 100 feet to jump back down, and he's like, the elevator's broken. I don't want to hear the words broken right now, okay? <laughs> got to climb the steps. So I'm climbing, climbing, climbing. Again, I don't love heights. They're not my favorite. But with every step, I am getting, I am getting increasingly more anxious and nervous. And by the time I get about to the middle, I mean, like a seagull flies under me. And I ask Jesus into my heart again, just to make sure. In case I didn't get this thing right, Jesus, all right? You are the Lord of all, all right? So I get to the top, I'm kind of freaking out, I'm looking down on skyscrapers is what it felt like, and there we are, and there's this 16-year-old kid sitting there goes, sup. I almost threw him off, all right, and so, and then just immediately, immediately into instruction, all right, you're going to step out here, we're going to hook the harness up, and then he goes, oh, you want to go head first or feet first? I'm going head first, okay, because I am smashing my way into heaven, I am not breaking my legs and bleeding out slow, I am not going out like that. I look over the edge, and the little air mattress they had to save your life in case the rubber band doesn't catch you had broken, so they moved it out of the way. Somebody spray paints a target on the cement and said, brains go here. That's what it said. I'm freaking out, man. And now, my little, my little disciples that I have been loving and caring for and nurturing all summer long, they're just like totally making fun of me and talking junk, and I'm thinking, I'm going to kill you when I get down there. So the guy says, step to the edge. You're going to jump on three, three, two, one, jump. That's how it goes. And so he looks at me, three, two, one, jump, and I just, I just couldn't. And my students didn't, you know, there was no compassion. There was no love. There's no love from the 16-year-old either. And then, and then he says, three, two, one, and I, I just, I miss again. I just can't do it. And I opened my mouth. I was going to tell him why, and he just goes, just shut up and jump. And so I did. And off I went. And nobody says anything on the way down because that, the ground is like right there in your face. Bam! I mean, it's over quick. But then when that little rubber band catches you, you're like, woohoo! Like you're awesome. Like you'd ever do it again. All right. So they let you all down. We were one of the last ones to go. And the owner of the place comes by and he goes, hey, here's your shirt. And he tosses me this shirt. Open up the shirt. And the shirt says, shut up and jump. Now, he gave me a medium. And I don't look great in a halter top, so I was never able to wear it. But... I talked to the guy. I know some of you are like, yeah, you do. No, I don't. All right, so I talked to the guy afterwards, and he said, look, we've been doing this for about a year or whatever, and the way we came up with this slogan, shut up and jump, is because people like you show up here every night. 
and they pay their money, and they climb the deal, and they get right to the edge of the bungee adventure, and then they've got all these excuses of why they can't go. You know, hey, I can't. I'm the youth pastor. If I bust my head open, I can't give these kids home. Can you let me down? Or they misquote the Bible. The Bible says, thou shalt not bungee jumpeth. If you push me, you're going to hell. All right, I'm pretty sure. Or a lot of people go, hey, you know what? I'm 40, and if I do a jumping jack, I pee a little. If I jump off here, I'll pee all a lot. Okay, so can I get an amen? Amen, right? Praise God. Uh, you 20s. <laughs> Enjoy it. All right, so, <clears throat> so he said, we came up with this because all these people have all these excuses, and I tell you what, just shut up and jump. So listen, church, in this Before All Things initiative, I'm telling you, I know there's been a whole lot of people that have been brought right to the edge of the boat. And you know, you know, because when we started this thing out, it was this. Just go before the Lord and say, Lord, what does it look like to declare that you are before all things in my life and God has spoken to you or is speaking to you right now? And you're right on the edge and you know what he's called you to do. You know what he's called you to do. And now you hear the whispers. And now you feel the excuses. And now we'll have a tendency to take our eyes off Jesus and check out the wind and the waves and by fear begin to sink. And immediately he'll reach out his hand because by faith, he wants us to step up and step out and shut up and jump and do whatever it is that he has called us to do. A week ago Friday night, over 1,000 leaders from our church gathered at the 50-yard line of Everbank Field that said, hey, we want to declare what it looks like for Jesus to be before all things. And I'm so proud and I'm so impressed by the humility and the sacrifice and the willingness and primarily the faith of these men and women that have declared that Jesus is before all things. Take a minute and check this out. giving to a church for the first time really ever that we've really ever given to and uh, really looking at finances and stepping out. When Joby was saying something about looking at our, um, our checkbook, God wasn't there and uh, Penny and I decided that, wait a minute, we need to have God first and everything else is going to fall right into place. And I believe that um, if Jesus Christ really is before all things, it should reflect in my finances, it should reflect in my time, it should reflect in the way that I give and the way that I treat others. Also, I've just come to a place now where I realize since everything is on loan, I want to be a great steward of it. I don't want to take my talent and dig it up and put it in the ground and have the master come back and be scornful with me. But the grace that God has given me, I want to take that and use it to make more disciples. And I do that with my music. And I work with kids uh, all day long with communities and schools, so I love doing that. Um, and I serve here on Wednesdays with the eighth grade boys, and I'm just trying to make sure that Christ is before all things. That's what it is. So I've never been a giver or a tither, um, and I have definitely stepped outside of my um, comfort zone and will be giving much more than I am comfortable with. I'm choosing to put faith before fear at the risk of sounding churchy, but it's it's a real thing. And I'm downsizing my life. I'm a single mom, I've got two kids, 
and we have a big huge house that we don't need. Um, so that's what it means to me. Well, I think for me it's hard. I mean, look how beautiful she is. And, you know, for me to put God before her is pretty tough to do. Um, but I think that this kind of series has really taught me that even with this right here and my kids, my three kids at home, that God is number one. So um, I was out of town a few nights this week, and um, we, we came here tonight to the Advanced Commitment Night, and um, we had decided we're just going to wait to the 22nd to come up with a number that we're going to write down and commit to the church. But um, when uh, we were told to pray about it, I prayed about it, and I talked to her, and um, I said, well, I think we're going to wait to the 22nd. And she said, well, I've got a number that, that I heard tonight. And I said, well, so do I. And he's and, like, it's scary. And I was like, <laughs> mine too. And actually, and wrote it down. I had to write it down because I didn't want to say it. And I showed it to her, and that was the exact same number she had. And so. Um, and the fear just went away. It felt better. It felt peaceful because this has been scary to look at what you're, you're giving up. But, but what he's given up is so, much, so much greater better. that. You know, um, it's not a sacrifice to put him before all things. This night was quite amazing for me. Eric and I had gotten together today and we had decided what the Lord had placed on our heart to commit and gave us a number and we were both good with it. And then we came tonight and Joby gave us that three minute, like, let's just just pray about, you know, whether or not that's, you know, exactly what God wanted to, uh, or have you give. That's what it just happened for me. I just, I didn't even want was what was on that card. I just wanted to give it to God. Like, it wasn't mine. It was like, he gave it to us, and then it was our time to just give it back. And I'm like, this is yours. You know, we shared on the stage tonight that, um, Lord, help us to not have anything off limits to you and for you. And uh, little did we think that shortly after, when Joby gave the invitation to just pray and just seek God to see if there would be a change in your number or just whatever that number was, how quickly he'd, uh, he'd have something different for us. You know, we've been uh, Christians for quite a while. We've always been tithers. And in fact, we believe that you're supposed to give above and beyond the tithe, and we've been doing that. But it really hit home here at listening to Pastor Joby that, you know, that we really put God above all things. And here we're getting ready to retire. Actually, my wife just retired, and I'm getting ready to retire. So I was kind of a little bit nervous for us. But, uh, you know, I'm, I don't have any doubt that we're going to be fine because God has never, ever failed us. And I know in my heart he never will. Amen. Hey, if you would, yeah, go ahead. Amen. Hey, now's the chance. Grab your, uh, grab your commitment card and get it out, please. And uh, remember, the number one goal in this is 100% participation. If you're a guest with us or if you're brand new, would you please participate by praying for us as a church like crazy, that we would continue to do what Jesus has called us to do and even greater things as the body of Christ. And my, my hope and prayer for us as a church is that every single person would take a step of faith Take a step of faith, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so the way this works is at the very top, it says, what do I or we normally give in a year? This is just a, this is not a test question. This is just a truth question. Where are you? And if, you're, if your answer is like, I have no idea, well, then 
That's bad news because you need a plan. And there's some of you, honestly, you'd say, well, zero. I've never really given at church before. Well, today could be the day that you take a step of faith and for the very first time you say, look, I'm putting in before all things, including in my finances. And so this would be what you have been giving, whether it's to the operating budget or, or upon this rock or restore or whatever it is. All that goes into to one number now. That's it. And then that next line is, our expanded annual generosity before all things is this. This is what, as we have gone before the Lord and prayed, here's what we know He is calling us to do and to stretch to. And listen to me. Don't do what I say. I am not your Holy Spirit. You do what the Lord tells you to do. And then you add that up and it's time to, because this is a two-year initiative. Everything that God has called us to do over the next two years is represented in this one number. And then... This last line over here, it says, gifts from our stored resources. Some of you have things sitting in storage units or in a savings account or, or great-grandma's old jewelry, and it, it means a whole lot more right now to the kingdom than it does to you. And that's the kind of thing that God is going to put on your mind to liquidate, to put towards this before all things. For us as a family, we had planned some, do some, to do some things that would be a blessing for our family that costs a lot of money for us. And as we got together as a family to talk about this and to pray about this, here's what we knew. We knew that God was calling us to put pause on that plan and put that towards before all things. And we wanted our children to be involved. And here's why. Here's what I'm afraid of. I do not want my children to grow up to love money. I want them to grow up to love God and love people and use money to love God and love people. And I know they see mama and daddy come to church all the time, but I also want them to see their mama and their daddy declare financially that Jesus is before all things, even some of these fun things that we had planned to do, and that he's a good dad. He's a good dad that's given us everything to enjoy. And then the number that matters is in regards to like our accounting team is this right here in the green, that our two-year commitment is this. And so if you don't want to do math, I don't blame you. If you just know what that number is, and that's the only one that really matters for us in regards to, to collecting these. And so what we're going to do, we're going to take about two minutes. And I want you to pray like crazy. And I mean really pray. I don't mean bow your head and think about lunch. I mean bow your head and ask Jesus. Jesus, speak to me as clearly as you did to Peter. Speak to me as clearly as you did to Peter when you asked him to get out of that boat. And God, what does it look like for us, either individually or as a family, what does it look like to be generous? Just to be generous. And then when you're ready, you pray, and you listen, and you write that number down. And if, whether you're an individual or a family, and then you take some time, and you do what the Old Testament would call, you consecrate it. That means you just pray over this. And you say, Lord, I know uh, in light of the kingdom of God, it might not be much, but when I put my little bit in your hands, you can do miraculous things. And you consecrate it. And so you just you spend some time praying and listening and writing and in two minutes I'll be back to give you instruction Go.
So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray. The band's going to come. We're going to close by singing our anthem. It's kind of been the anthem of this season, Before All Things. And my prayer is that you've heard, you've heard from God Almighty and that you would have the faith to step out and do what He has said. And when you're ready in just a minute, when you're ready in just a minute after I pray, then you're going to come forward and you're going to drop off your declaration of what it looks like for Him to be before all things in one of these boxes here. And even if you were with us at our advanced commitment night, one of the things that we're finding is about 25% of even our leaders that have already gone, that God has stirred in them between that time and this, that they have even increased what God is calling them to bring forward. So let me pray for us. Our good and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we love you. Could you first love us? God, I pray that you would give us the gift of faith. And Lord, we pray, we thank you that you did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. And God, we thank you that perfect love drives out fear. And that you demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, that Christ died for us. And God, would you, would you cause and help 100% of us to take a step of faith this very day for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. When you're ready, bring it forward.